Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And welcome to episode 188 of Geek Town Radio. I'm back this week with... Gray, how are you doing? Happy New Year, Dave. Happy New Year, how are you doing? I am very good, thank you. Good, good, good. What have you been up to since, since, uh, well, last year, I guess? Well, yeah, um, Christmas catch-ups, obviously, time to uh, do a big catch-up. I was a bit thwarted by technology problems. I uh, lost my sky... Oh no! Two, two weekends during uh, the Christmas break, so um, I was forced—not forced on—I uh, I just went on to Netflix for those two weekends while I waited for all the repairs. So I had a, a real good time to catch up with a lot of things I hadn't sort of finished. So I had a real time of Christmas catch-ups. I watched a few really old things, like back in the the lists of shows I'd been wanting to watch for ages, and I watched a few new things as well. Um, so that was quite good. So being that time on uh, Netflix meant that. I I uh, got to experience very quickly within the first couple of days of release Bandersnatch. Yes, yes. Yes. What did you think? Uh, well, you know, since watching it, I've read so much more about it. The thing I enjoyed the most about it was that I watched it with a friend. And I think that made my evening because we were both playing off each other about what decisions we've made and mm. sort of like, you make the decision this time. And like, we talked it over. I, I just think it's a very different experience to if I'd sat on my own and watched it in a room. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've been on the train on the way to work and I've seen like uh, a commuter next to me playing it on his own with his headphones in. And I just think actually you can have a very different experience depending on your environment. Yeah. Um, so I, I really enjoyed the concept. I can see now it's going through lots of dramas. People are saying they weren't happy with some of the actors. They were saying it was all formulaic. But I thought, you know what? Well done, Netflix. You put on something really good. It grabbed people's attention. Since then, I've read something about it actually not being a Black Mirror concept, but it was like Netflix wanted this for a while. So they went out to Charlie Brooker and said, do you think you could write us something with Black Mirror as the title? Um, right. I don't know how true that is. don't know if that changed. I- I mean, well, if I don't know if that's true or not, but if it isn't, they it certainly came across as very Black Mirror. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, it it was a very Black Mirror concept. So, I mean, no. So, I really enjoyed it, and I think I enjoyed it more because I was watching it with someone. Yeah. Um, I also watched quite a few films over the Christmas break. I went and shot myself in the cinema for a day, but I also um, watched Bird Box. Good. Um, so not to be outdone by my uh, parents who are in their 60s. We went out for a New Year's Day walk and they just turned around casually to me and went, oh, we downloaded that Netflix thing and we watched Bird Box. <laughs> so I was like, I, I can't be behind my parents on this. So <laughs> the next day I was watching Bird Box. Um, again, I watched it before watching all the, the some of the critique behind it. I, you know, I appreciate it for a, for a Netflix film. I think, you know, it's really good, really good cast, really good idea. Uh, obviously now we're retrospectively i'm looking at some of the flaws but ultimately they've got a good entertainment something everyone's going to talk about and ultimately mm. that's what netflix want and i think well done netflix did you watch it dave i haven't no uh, mm. i haven't seen it i have seen some sort of negative things about it matt who has watched it sort of his opinion was it's basically the quiet place but the quiet place is a lot better um yeah 
So I haven't seen either of those films, so I I couldn't tell you either way. But uh, I'm horribly behind on my movie watching. But uh, yeah, I mean, I it's, it's maybe one that I will go and watch. But I I need to see the Quiet Place first anyway. That's one yeah. that I need to catch up with. So uh, cool. I don't know. I'm mean, it's it's on Netflix. It's not like it's going anywhere because it's no, a Netflix no. original. So I can watch it anytime. So I might exactly. go exactly. Uh, and then I uh, yeah, my day in the cinema exi- uh, consisted of uh, Spider Man into the Spider Verse. That's been very um, positively received. Yeah. So, what did rocketed, you think? Yeah, rocketed straight into my top five movies of uh, 2018 by far. Wow. I was very thoroughly impressed by that. Um, Holmes and Watson. Um, I don't really want to talk about that. I'm just going to move on. <laughs> that um, bad. Wow. Uh, I had a 10 minute nap. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> and uh, oh. me and my friend had already had a backup plan in case he walked out. But I just think we got to a point where we're like, I'm just I'm just going to see this travesty for what it is. Um, oh, dear. And then Mary Poppins at the end. And uh, I know I really enjoyed that. That was a lovely little uh, throwback. We uh, both of us, obviously, we were in our 30s. So we considered all oh, the songs aren't as memorable. But, you know, the original had 60 years to get the songs into our heads. And exactly. To really, um, you know, make us remember it. This one's only just come out. And actually, the more and more I think about it, some of the songs like Trip a Little Light, Fantastic. You know, it's there. It's in the back of my head. If I watched it a couple more times, I think I'd be out there singing that song so i was very 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 pleased with that good good um, a couple of other things i've been watching so you i don't know why i started watching it it's complete like sort of trashy tv guilty yes. television yes it is <laughs> but just on the way home today i think I'm, I'm up to episode eight now um so yeah so i i don't know why i'm watching it it's, it's so I- not it's not where I would normally I, be watching. I, I think I described it last week as as Dexter, as done by the CW. Yeah. Uh, it's it is. I mean, it's it's fun. It's entertaining. Um, it, it's it's from the Belanti side of things, which is why it feels like a CW thing. Um, and uh, it, it's from Belanti and Greg Belanti, and who does all the CW shows and does Riverdale and that sort of stuff. Uh, I I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was really fun. And you know, dark and, and like silly and twisted, and uh, yeah, uh, did, yeah, great job, great job. Don't I get think. me wrong, Dave. I'll be finishing those last two episodes before mm. the week's out. I'm, I'm there, um, and I've been keeping up with a good place. I think it's actually taking a turn. It's getting better, um, <laughs> and I'm really pleased. The Goldbirds is back. Uh, a couple of other things I finished. Sabrina. Um, I finished. Um, uh, some ITV dramas which I had stacked up, uh, including Innocent with Hermione Norris, oh, um, cool. which was back in back in like, early earlier in the year. Um, so yeah, I had some really good time, sort of yeah, really binging. Yes. Um, and then uh, the last thing I thought I'd talk about is um, the the BAFTA nominations, which came out recently. Yes. Um, and consider some of the films I probably need to put into my to view list yeah. over the next few weeks. Um, the favourite was already there. I definitely. Want to go and see that that's obviously walked away with the most nominations that's nominated for 12 um and i'm really hoping olivia coleman takes her award i think she really thoroughly deserves it even from the trailers that i'm seeing and the clips and the interview footage you see on television shows olivia coleman has got i think to take that after yeah um, i'm sort of gunning for her um other nominations that so bohemian rhapsody came away with seven as did first man roma and a star is born and then six nominations went to vice and five nominations went to black Klansman. Um, I love Black Handsman. I really did enjoy that. That was in my top 10 films of the year. So they came out. I'm really excited about those. I will definitely be tuning in to watch that. Um, and I'm just going to do a little bit of a guess. I don't know if you want to have a little bit of a bet on me. So the best films... Uh, Black that you, it's either going to be Black Clansman, the favourite Green Book, Roma, or A Star Is Born for best film. Mm. I think Star Is Born is going to get that. Yeah, possibly, possibly. Um, I mean, I, I the problem is I've not seen many of these, so I honestly don't know. I've heard quite a lot about Green Book, and we've interviewed half the people behind the scenes behind it, so I'm sort of gunning for that winning. <laughs> that okay, great. okay, okay. Um, and then I was going to have a little bit on outstanding British film because I think if A Star Is Born wins 
the best film, I think the outstanding British film is going to go to the favourite, and that's up against Beast, Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, McQueen, Stan and Ollie, and You Were Never Really Here. So mm. those are my little bets. I'm going to put it out there if anyone on Geek Town wants to talk to me on Twitter about what they think or even talk about any of the other categories. Yeah. Then obviously do follow me at Grey the Geek. So and I, I will uh, I will respond. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. So yeah, I mean my my stuff this week. Uh, Titans, of course, came out on. Netflix, which is the DC show we've been talking about, it seems like forever. Um, So that came out. Uh, Again, it's a show from Greg Belanti. Um, It's not in any way, shape or form connected to the CW DC shows. If you're expecting it to be anything like that, it's not. It's very, very difficult. It's very, very dark and um, much more in the vein of them trying to do something like Daredevil compared to the other Marvel shows like Agents of Shield, you know it's yeah, it, it's it's that sort of different balance to it. I would say Daredevil's probably a better show. Uh, Titans is it, it is a little bit messy. The plotting's a little bit all over the place. It's got that same issue that I had with things like the well the first season of daredevil actually where they're not in costume anywhere near enough it's got the same issue that the runaways had for the first season in that you know the show's called titans but the entire season is about them meeting and kind of building that team rather than them actually being titans and being superhero-y so that is a little bit annoying um, yeah. And it does jump around quite a lot. You know, and, and I, I get that they're trying to do background on things, but I don't know. There's something that seems a little disjointed about the story. So I, I think it's good and I think it's interesting. I just, I don't know. It, it's one of those things that I think could have a great second season, but I think there's been a few hiccups in the first season that need knocking off. Those edges need knocking off to, to get it to work mm. properly. Um, I'm, I haven't got quite to the end of it yet. I think I'm on episode eight. So I've got a couple to go. But yeah. um, I watched one episode this morning on my way into work, knowing that we were going to talk about it just to see if I could get a feel of it. And I, I did feel the same about the Daredevil, like the the, the yeah. opening scene that you have with um, Grayson and, and the people in the alley. And I thought, like, oh, yeah, it's a little bit Daredevil. But yeah, I, I felt the same. I, I've almost wanted them to be in these costumes. And I, in my head, I thought, why don't they do an opening episode where they're together and then use some later episodes in the season to talk yeah. about their, their story about how they came together um, because yeah i i want it to be there rather than having to wait to get there yeah and i mean a lot of the first season is is focused really around rachel and who rachel is and uh, i mean i don't think it's any spoiler to say that Rachel is Raven because I mean we know that from all the publicity you know that that she is the the character that is known as Raven in the comic books but she's referred to as Rachel throughout most of, of the show almost the entire season is around her story so I, I don't know I, I don't know whether that was the right thing to do I I just it doesn't it doesn't quite work and hold together properly for me but i i am enjoying it i you know i i haven't been kind of sat half watching half on my phone which i have we've been some other superhero shows so you know it's i i i just i hoping that they manage to sort some of the issues out with it for the second season assuming it comes back for another season but i suspect it will it probably will be renewed on it yeah yeah um so there's that uh charmed that uh, appeared on e4 last week as well this is the new version of charmed and i've i've watched i think probably every episode of the old version so i mean it's a show that i i knew historically quite well uh i I quite like it it's fun it's very cw again it's very kind of teen led it's going to upset fans of the original because it's not the original cast it's an entirely new sort of setup and story but i think it's fine it's charmed for a a new generation that maybe haven't seen the original so yeah it's fine it's it's a perfectly good witch-based kind of cw type show you know yeah i heard a a slating review i mean i'm starting to think i need to stay away from the reviews before i go and watch things but yeah Yeah, i heard an absolute slating one it came from people who are absolutely die hard in love with the original yeah um you're never gonna get into it if you're never gonna yeah yeah so um 
um, a lot of people were sort of saying it was um, just a, a tamer, softer version of something like Buffy or Sabrina. Yeah, that, I mean that that is a, probably a fair assessment of it. But I mean, it's it's fun enough, and it's certainly watchable. You got to bear in mind, as I say, where it comes from. It sits in that pantheon of shows that are on the CW in the US, and that it, and it sits very well in that kind of teen area. You know. I think it's perfectly fine for that sort of audience. And it's not one of my favourite shows by any any stretch of the imagination, but it, it's, it was perfectly okay, I thought. So, yeah. And I will probably watch some more episodes of it and, and see how it goes. It doesn't quite have the charm of the original. Uh, to... Charm, I get that. Yeah. Charm. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, I, I think it's it's perfectly okay. I'll, I will watch some more and because I, I don't like judging things on just one episode. So I will watch some more and, and see. The Orville also came back this week, which I absolutely adored the first season of that. I thought it was brilliant. The second season continues that sort of comedy Star Trek vibe to it, um, does it very well. The opening episode is, you know how in things like Star Trek, they might have one of the officers go back to a planet because there's something that happens every year and they have to celebrate it or you know like yeah. like there's a, a sort of mating ritual which was always the thing with that they did with vulcans the ponfar ritual with this it was the first officer needing to pee because they pee once a year <laughs> and, that was the, and that was the basis for sort of where why they were going back to the planet i yeah i, I love the fact that it, it it takes things that are sort of established sci-fi sort of tropey things and and subverts them in that sort of way. I rather like that. Um, I, but it, it's well written. It's funny. It's got some good relationship stuff in there with uh, the two leads. I yeah. I mean, thoroughly enjoyed watching that. It's it's uh, well worth going back to. A couple of trailers popped up this week as well one for a show which had been completely off my radar until the trailer popped up called hannah which is coming to uh, amazon prime and uh, this appears to be about a teen assassin but it's it's an interesting one if you're a fan of the killing because it's got the two stars of the killing in it's got joel killerman and uh, Mariella enos there's a girl called Esme Creed Miller who is the plays the young girl who is this sort of teen assassin. Joel Kinnaman plays her father and Mariella Enos is playing a CIA agent who is chasing after them. So it's not going to have that same sort of buddy vibe that they're, they're most definitely on opposite sides in this. But uh, it's it's described as a equal parts high-concept thriller and coming-of-age drama which follows the journey of an extraordinary young girl raised in a forest as she evades the relentless pursuit of an off-book CIA agent and tries to unearth the truth behind who she is. It's um, based on David Farr, 2011 movie of the same name mm. so kind of sounds sort of interesting uh, as, yeah, a, as a possibility heard great things about the film when it was released i never got around to seeing it mm-hmm. um so when i saw that i thought oh they you know, the film must have enough meat to make it into a full series um, yeah yeah so um that's coming we don't have an exact date for it but it's coming march that on uh, onto amazon prime so one to watch out for, I think, could be kind of interesting. The other one was a uh, again something which I completely missed up until the trailer came out. I don't know whether they'd released anything earlier, but I certainly hadn't heard about it. It's a comedy called Russian Doll. It's from Natasha Lyon, who you will know from Orange Is the New Black. It's her. It's Amy Poehler and uh, Leslie Headland are the three people behind it, and it's it, it's kind of a ground hoggest day of this young woman named Nadia played by Natasha Lyon and uh, she's the guest of honour at this seemingly unescapable party one night in New York City she sort of starts off on this night I think ends up dying and then wakes up again and he's stuck in this sort of loop of this party this one night party and um, it's a series which is going to be interesting so it's got that kind of the good place off the wall weirdness factor to it which sounds kind of 
like it could be quite interesting. Natasha Lyon plays Nikki in Orange is the New Black, so uh, that's where you'll know her from. It's got various people in from like Captain Phillips and Ocean's 8 and Chicago Fire, so there's quite a good bunch of people surrounding her. She's been involved in the writing of this by the sounds of it. It was co-created by Lyon, Amy Conger and uh, Leslie Headland, who did The Bachelorette and Terriers. So um, kind of interesting, but uh, that's coming out on the 1st of February on Netflix, and it's called The Russian Doll. So so, uh, yes, I would advise you to go watch that. Certainly give it a chance. It looks very interesting, that one. There's so much coming out. I, I, yeah, I know. I mean, there's even more stuff popped up, like, today as well. So so that's all the stuff we've been doing. We'll next move on to that more stuff coming up on the TV and film news. TV and film news this week. We start off with the cancellations, renewals and pickups. Uh, something going away to start off with. Criminal Minds is ending with a 10-episode 15th season. I know there was a lot of people, particularly on Facebook, that were very upset this was this was finishing. But, I mean, you can't really complain too much. It's made it to 15 seasons. Yeah, that's, yeah, a, that's a good run. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty solid run. Um, it's, it's certainly in the top 20 longest-running American TV shows of all time. So... Mm. Um, and I think it's in the it's like number four in the top five of live action TV shows running in the US right now. So it's it's had a pretty fairly decent run, I would say. So yes, that will be going away. But there's plenty of other procedural things out there, you know. Yeah. So there's that uh, New Amsterdam, which is that medical drama starring uh, Ryan Eggold from the Blacklist. That's coming to Amazon Prime. On the 8th of February, it's launching. Uh, We'll have all the aired episodes coming on the 8th of February and then the following episodes for season one will come out every Wednesday after that. It's an interesting one for Amazon Prime to pick up that because it it is kind of a procedurally medical drama and that's not really the sort of thing that Amazon Prime usually goes for, but that's fine as long as it's airing somewhere in the UK. (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm... like the actor so we'll we'll have to see what he's like yeah. but uh, but that's good big announcement last night as part of the launch of true detective which of course came out 2am it premiered over over here and over there because they simulcast it but they also announced that game of thrones is coming on the 15th of april for its final season that will simulcast at 2am with the us like it has done in previous seasons final six episodes although most people that have knowledge of this are saying that those six episodes are basically six movies. So uh, <laughs> they're, they're longer form. Uh, they've gone all out. I suspect they didn't drop the budget. They just dropped the episode number and made the episode longer. Um... So, yeah, I mean, that is looking like it's going to be a very, very interesting and impressive final season. And then the other big news that landed today, Channel 4 has signed a deal to bring the entire Adult Swim back catalogue and future stuff, plus season four of the hotly anticipated season four of Rick and Morty are going to be exclusively on all four and Channel 4 mm. in the UK. So uh, Rick and Morty had previously been on Netflix, but... Yeah. Did it not go on? for a while and I've now I, did, I saw it this week back on Netflix yeah. was there something that, that took them all off and then I looked this week and it was inviting me to watch season 3 again and I was like but I thought it left Netflix yeah I, I thought it did and then it came back on again so I'm not entirely sure what's going on with that I, and I, I don't know what's going to go on for, you know, moving forward with that as well Channel 4 are saying that the full season will be exclusively airing on Channel 4 though and then we'll go on to all 4 afterwards mm. what excites me about this though is the fact that they've picked up the rest of of that catalogue from Adult Swim which is the sort of not only cartoons but it's it's this sort of sub-brand of the Cartoon Network I think it was but they've they've actually creating a, a channel on all four for all these shows to sit on one of the things that's coming with that is Robot Chicken and I adore Robot Chicken that's the uh, Seth Green and uh, Matthew Centric's wonderfully strange kind of rip-off of various different pop culture references and it's done with all stock motion animation. So they've done ones that are based around DC characters. They've got one which is a Walking Dead special which is actually going to air on E4 as well. So that's going out. They've got the Robot Tricking Walking Dead special but 
all of this stuff is going to be on a special channel on all four as well, along with a load of other adult swim shows like the Ventura Brothers, the Eric Andre show, mostly for millennials, Mr. Pickles, Aquatine Hunger Force, Tim and Eric's Bedtime Stories. Yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch there's of shows. Loads, so yeah. There's there's loads, loads more, and they're going to be adding to it throughout the year as well. So there's there's absolutely tons of stuff that's going to be coming onto there. Um, I, I'm just very happy that particularly Robot Chicken, but the the whole thing has has got like a a home because robot chickens kind of popped up on i think fox ran it for a bit and then it didn't and there was a bunch of specials like the walking dead special came out and then nobody had them over here i don't think the dc comics ones aired over here they had the star wars ones and the star wars ones if you've not seen them and if you're a fan of star wars are one of the funniest things i've ever seen so it's well worth going to watch but uh, i'm very very happy that that seems to have like a settled home in the uk now all that to watch out for they haven't said exactly when those are going to land but it's coming soon to all four and channel four and e4 for those moving on to other news there is a bit of a Star Trek update because there was a whole load of different Star Trek news that that dropped this week. Stuff about the Picard series and the movie franchise and some other shows as well. The Picard series, they've which we knew has been coming, know it's been coming for a while. They've given a little bit more detail about it. Uh, it's going to be set obviously in the Next Generation timeline. It's going to be set post the events of the 2009 movie. Movie, which is when they booted the alternative timeline that had Chris Pine in it and all that stuff. Just to try to explain this for those people that haven't been following it, like you. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what, what basically happened in the 2009 movie is rather than just rebooting it completely, what they did was they actually picked a point in the Next Generation timeline and had... Spock from that timeline go back in time and alter history to create this secondary timeline. And the secondary timeline is the one that the movies have been following when they rebooted it from the 2009. So the last three movies have followed that alternative timeline. But the original timeline that everything else has been based in, like the original Star Trek and Next Generation and Voyager and all that stuff, that still exists. So it's going to be continuing in that original timeline, not the alternative movie timeline. So there's that. It's also going to be continuing from the events that happened in that movie, because in that movie, the thing with Spock going back in time was caused by the explosion of the Romulan homeworld and Romulus being destroyed has dramatically altered Picard's life because he was involved in sort of trying to get the uh, re- the Romulans reunited with uh, other races and stuff. So that's the basic sort of background to it and, and the premise for it is it's going to involve a certain amount of stuff with the Romulans and Picard dealing with the fallout of that event and the disappearance of older Spock into this other timeline because of course he vanished from that timeline. So that's what that's coming. We still don't know exactly when that is is going to come but uh, I'm very much looking forward to that. We know there is another animated series coming which is called Star Trek Lower Decks which is an animated comedy series about a minor ship in the fleet and it's about the people that kind of do the engineering work and that sort of stuff. So we know that one's coming, but they've also said that there is now at least one other animated series in the works. We don't know anything about it other than they have said that they are trying to make all the animated series slightly different with different animation styles and stuff. So it may be that one is a sort of computer-generated thing, it may be one's a hand-drawn thing, it may be that one is comedy like Lower Decks, another one might be a straight drama. So we don't know, but there is another animated thing in the works, apparently. Over on the movie side, things aren't looking quite so good because what was supposed to be the fourth outing for the rebooted Star Trek franchise seems to have stalled. There were reports a while ago that Chris Pine, who played Kirk, wasn't going to come back due to contractual issues. They'd had arguments about money, I think. Chris Hemsworth was also supposed to be reprising his role as Kirk's father in that movie. They couldn't get him back because of contractual issues. S.J. Clarkson, who was originally hired to be the first female director of that Force movie, is now going to be helming the Game of Thrones prequels. The reason that she's available for that is because Paramount have shelved the fourth film for now. 
So, uh, yeah, don't expect to see it back on the big screen. But you're not exactly going to be short of things Star Trek-wise on the small screen for, uh, you know. <laughs> I mean, there is, there's Discovery coming back, which is on back on the 18th of January. Uh, they've also said today that there is a Discovery spin-off series starring Michelle Yeoh that is um, definitely in development. So there's that potentially coming. There's a Star Trek Academy series from Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage, who are the people behind Runaways and Gossip Girl. So that's going to be a younger skewed one. They've got that in development. There's Lower Decks, as I said. There's the Picard series. They're basically planning on having something on CBS All Access in America, like Star Trek related, pretty much every single season throughout the year. So there will always be something Star Trek related on there. You're not going to be short of things, despite the fact that it's not, it doesn't look like it's coming back to the cinema anytime soon. Oh, my head hurts. <laughs> yes. I'm so glad I'm not a Trekkie. I don't think I could have managed all of those. <laughs> That's just, just so many, but you know, someone is really making their money out of the franchise, aren't they? And really, yeah. yes, they are not letting go of that franchise anytime no. soon. And I think there's an audience. That's the thing. I think there they're is. all going to be received, and um, unfortunately, you're going to have a lot of picky people who are going to really pick apart that timeline stuff I, you're I'm, talking about. I'm and sure. I don't even know it, and I'm already imagining the the blogs and things like that, and the people yes. you know are questioning certain elements. But this you know, well can't because of that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I'm looking forward to all that sort of stuff coming out. It should be really good. Moving on to other things, Netflix are uh, adapting a couple of novels, or it's sort of a novel series. Shadow and Bone and Six of Crows are the, uh, I think they're described as the Grishaverse novel series from uh, Lee Barduk, or Barduk. He, he's got this this Grishaverse novel series based around Shadow and Bone and Six of Crows. The synopsis of the story says, in a world world cleaved in two by a massive barrier of perpetual darkness where a natural creature's feast on human flesh a young soldier uncovers a power that might finally unite her country but as she struggles to hone her power dangerous forces plot against her thugs thieves assassins and saints are at war now and it will take more than magic to survive it doesn't really give away a huge amount but um the new drama is going to be released they're basically taking that whole grishaverse thing and and squashing it into one TV series. It's going to be called Shadow and Bone. Eric Hazira, who was the man behind Bird Box and Arrival, he's going to be adapting the novels and serve as showrunner on the series. It's going to bring characters from both the Shadow and Bone and Six of Crows overlapping series together. So uh, how they're going to do that, I'm sure that will upset some people that are massive fans of the, uh, the book series, I'm fairly sure. But um, yeah, so we'll have to wait and see. I think that sounds like it could be kind of interesting. Um, the books have sold over 2.5 million copies in English language alone and have been translated into 38 languages around the globe and counting. New instalment called The King of Scars is due out later in the month. Yeah, not books that I know particularly, but yeah, if you're a fan of them, that's going to be one I'm sure you're going to very much be looking forward to. Earliest you're likely to see it is, well, it could be later this year, but I rather suspect you're going to be 2020 at least, I would have thought. Uh, it's going to be eight episodes long, that first series. They seem to have started to kind of, they went started at sort of 14 episodes. They've now kind of, or 16, they're now sort of, then 12 and then 10 and they seem to be going down to eight episode runs now so on netflix i think they're learning from the um the marvel situation where they were making 13 and it was just dragging out series and now the better series seem to be 10 or under yeah um, they're sort of properly getting the story told in a better way yeah. rather than trying to fulfill um a criteria by the the u.s system where it was like you know huge yeah. amounts of numbers so yeah definitely i mean i i think i eight episodes if you can do it in eight episodes do it in eight episodes don't string it out to 13 yeah, and yeah. I, I think that was one of the problems with the uh, the Marvel series is there was always the feeling with those that you could take a few episodes out of that and you would have been absolutely fine so mm. yeah ten, eight, ten episode runs I think work perfectly well definitely over on Sky One they have picked up a sci-fi comedy or sci-fi-esque comedy called Code 404 uh, stars Stephen Graham 
Graham and Daniel Mays, who are both fabulous actors. So I'm I'm very, very into this. So it's called Code 404. It's a sort of sci-fi-esque police comedy set in the near future and revolves around two detective inspectors called D.I. John Major, uh, which is played by Daniel Mays, <laughs> and uh, D.I. Roy Carver, played by Stephen Graham. They're the top crime-fighting duo in the unit, but when an undercover sting goes horribly wrong, Major is gunned down on the job and killed. As an asset considered too valuable to lose, Major's body is then fast-tracked into an experimental artificial intelligence project to bring him back from the dead. The only problem is Major 2.0 may look and sound like the original, but something has been lost in translation quite literally. His arrogant demeanour and gung-ho approach remain, but his crime-fighting instinct have completely deserted him. Somehow Major's error-strewn hunches and Carver's scrambling to make good allows them just about to scrape by. But while the experiment might be held a success on the front line, Roy Carver is left dealing with the increasingly deluded partner. So I think this, as, as a duo, I mean, Stephen Graham's fabulous and, uh, and Daniel Mays is great as well. So that seems like the perfect sort of roles for them, I think. I uh. think this sounds really, really interesting. It's been written by Daniel Peake, who wrote episodes of Horrible Histories, Not Going Out and Mongrels, been directed by Al Campbell, who has been director on uh, things like Bad Education and Man Down. So uh, that's the team behind it. It's got a fairly good team, I think. Yeah, I like both actors. Um, I'm, I've got a feeling I might be wrong. People correct me. Stephen Graham's about to be in the next line of duty. So both of them have got a line of yes, duty connection. Yeah, yes, that's, so, that's true, actually. Yes, yeah, I think that's right. Um, so I think that's going to be quite good to see them both in a comedy. The, the directors and the writers are both sort of very slapstick, obvious humours. They're not necessarily... Uh, the, the subtle dry humours that were that yeah. are quite on the TV channels at the moment. So this could be a proper silly slapstick type humour coming back. You know, it might be quite good. Um, yeah. But I think Sky are putting good money behind sort of comedies at the moment. I'm thinking of the Jack Whitehall one from um, last oh, we, year. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, Bounty was, Hunters. Bounty yes. Hunters, which was really, really good. And I thought, and um, they've lost Trollied, and I thought Trollied was always a good... Solid. Comedy. Yeah, solid, solid comedy. comedy. So this this could potentially be very good. Yeah. They are beginning filming in March this year, so it's going to be 2020 before they actually release it, I think. But um, yes, Beyond Sky 1 and Now TV in 2020. So that's one to watch out for. That's all the news we have for this week. Next up, we have an interview. <laughs> how he landed the role and how his reaction when he first got told we're remaking or we're doing a new version of Mary Poppins we want you to do all the magical stuff for it it's like oh yeah so yes talk a bit about that and uh, some of the key scenes in the film as well as I said to him at the time I hadn't actually managed to see it yet because uh, it was we actually did this interview just before Christmas literally just as the film was coming out and uh, mm. uh, then me being me haven't managed to get to the cinema so I still haven't managed to see it but uh, the stuff out in the trailers though so uh, there's nothing too spoilery in here it's literally him talking about sort of the mechanics of certain scenes and how things worked and a lot of that stuff was shown in the trailers so don't worry too much about that his other work he's worked on X-Men First Class and World War Z and Into the Woods and a whole bunch of other things he's worked on as well here he is talking about Mary Poppins Returns it's Matt Johnson we will see you afterwards with some highlights for next week on TV (laughs) 
it's lovely to have you on. You're my last interview of the year. Oh, I feel honoured. Thank you. We've spoken to a few VFX people before, but I'm not sure whether we've spoken to somebody in particularly a VFX supervisor. So maybe the first thing we should do, we start off by just getting to you explain exactly what your job role is. Yes, I guess my job is a visual effects supervisor, which sounds very complicated, but basically, certainly on a film like Mary Poppins, it tends to be anything that's impossible or anything that you can't do for real. They say they tend to turn to me and go, well, how are we going to do that then? So <laughs> I would be in charge of designing you know, the methodology about how we would film something that, that can't happen, like people flying through the air or dancing with penguins so that that would be my initial job to work it out and then on set I guess I'm sort of responsible for making sure that we sort of have the right shooting methodology that, that we we get what we need to get to get the shot completed successfully and, and often they'll send me out with a little crew and a camera and I'll go off and shoot my own stuff and then in post-production I guess I'm creatively in charge of putting all the, the things together. So, I mean, I'm sure our listeners will be familiar with the, with things like green screen and CGI and miniatures and all that. So, I mean, basically yeah. that falls under the category of, of visual effects. Okay, cool. There, there's various sort of visual effects houses that work on, on different bits, depending what their specialties are and, and how much yes, work there exactly. is and that sort of stuff. Exactly. The, the way it works, I mean, uh, and it varies from movie to movie, but, but essentially I'm overall, I, I don't work for a house anymore. I used to many years ago, but I'm, yeah. I'm sort of freelance. So I, I guess I'm the overall in charge person, I guess, if you want to call it that. And then along with my uh, producer here on the case of, of Mary Poppins was, was, was Leslie Lerman. We would then assign the work to a variety of different houses. And we could have, I don't know, 600 people working on the movie at, at sort of different houses uh, across, sort of around the world working on the show. So we end up at the end, certainly on a, on a big visual effects movie like Mary Poppins, actually being probably numerically the biggest department on a feature film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an amazing project to be involved with as well. I mean, apart from the fact that there's a spectacular cast on it, I mean, it's a continuation of the Mary Poppins story what first goes through your mind when they go when they come to you and sort of say we're making a Mary Poppins sequel we want you to do all the visual effects for it um I can't I'll, I'll refrain from swearing which is what I think I probably <laughs> did in my head when I did it but it, it's certainly the oh golly would be the polite way of yes. um, of saying it, there you go. Um, it, yeah, it's a. Cha- it was obviously it's a challenge because I think the the first Mary Poppins film is a part of, of many people's kind of childhood memories, certainly of mine, and I mm. think it's a movie that we've all sort of grown up with, and it, it's kind of part of the, the kind of the cultural zeitgeist, I guess. Yeah. And knowing that that movie was sort of renowned for its visual effects, they won the Oscar back in 1964, and Peter Ellenshaw and his original team uh, have gone down and sort of and a visual effects folklore uh, this sort of um, the what they did and the sort of the, the jolly holiday dancing with penguins and, and all of that so it's just a part of how we've all grown up mm. so certainly that was in the back of my mind when you kind of think about okay well we need to kind of do that so um, that was a challenge but then also it was I think the good thing about it was it, we weren't remaking Mary Poppins because, frankly, yeah. how could you? Exactly. Uh, and the fact that it was a completely new and original story and it was a different world. It was set 25 years later, so London's very different. It's it's set during the Great Depression, so it's kind of got a greyer, darker, sort of less storybook look the real world, I guess, has. But then, of course, we are still transported into these sort of fantastical, sort of magical Mary Poppins scenes. So, that yeah, it was a good fun because it was a good mixture of what I would call invisible visual effects, things like set extensions, and they build a partial set and we have to go in and, and put in the rest of it, or and then making Cherry Tree Lane look like it's a real street in a real road kind of thing, that sort of stuff that yeah. hopefully the audience aren't really aware of. And then, of course, you know, tap dancing with penguins, which obviously they are, so uh, <laughs> it's, it's a good mixture. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the uh, the tap dancing with penguins. That, that sequence, which everybody knows from the original film, does sort of make a reprisal in this new version. How was it coming to tattle that and and that sort of doing almost traditional animation with more modern techniques i guess absolutely i mean i think the first thing to say about it was that we were all of us were extremely keen that this would be like the sort of the 2d animation of the the 1964 original there's a there's all these different periods of disney animation and and that's commonly referred to as the silver age of, of disney animation that kind of 60s style so yeah 
think of the first Mary Poppins, you think of 101 Dalmatians, there's a, there's a definite visual look to the way the characters are drawn. Um, we didn't want Mary Poppins to end up in a Pixar movie, if that makes sense. Not that there's anything yeah. wrong with Pixar movies, far from it, but no. it, it wasn't the aesthetic that we were looking for. And we were also very keen that, that well, and they are, every single character that you see in the movie, I mean, there's uh, I don't know, hundreds of different sort of animals and things like that. Every single one of them is hand-drawn with a pencil on a piece of paper by wow. a team of artists, many of whom we had to get back out of retirement because there isn't that so much stuff like that done in Hollywood anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, finding that many traditional animation animators must have been a bit of a trek. It was a challenge, but then we had a big sort of plus because we're working on Mary Poppins, so we yeah. wouldn't want to do that. So that, that was certainly a, a, a positive. So that, that was the first thing. But then again, I think in 1964, the, the, the original team, sort of Walt Disney's team, were using the very, very latest technology that they had back then. So they were using, I'm going to sound extremely geeky now, so I apologize, but they were using things like multiplane cameras, which basically means you, when you photograph a piece of animation, you're sort of putting a camera above a table and you're photographing you know, the characters on that flat surface. What multiplaning is, it allows you to, to put parallax in. So you basically have four sheets of glass at different distances from the camera. So you put your sky on the bottom one and you put your trees on the next one and then you put your foreground on the one after that and by moving them independently you get a feeling of parallax so imagine if you're looking out the car window and like the sort of the trees are whipping by super fast but the clouds hardly move mm. that's basically parallax and, and what they did back in the day was was this incredibly elaborate mechanical camera to, to recreate that sort of effect and that's really what's made disney movies stand out at the time mm. well of course we we did a, a modern version of that whereas they had four sheets of, of glass that they could use we could have an infinite number so we had some scenes where we'd have hand-drawn artwork but we'd put it on different distances away from the, the camera the, the virtual camera if you would which allowed us to do these incredibly complicated moves because again in the original film the cameras are pretty static when you look at it it's like it's yeah. it, so, and everything is drawn around it but of course this is the 21st century and so we're using steady cams and cranes and, and whooshing in and out so that, that was a, a an interesting challenge so that was the, the sort of the first Scene, but then we got there's a, a scene later where where we bring the penguins in where we're sort of dancing in a music hall. And now the director of this movie, Rob Marshall, is very familiar from films like Chicago, and he comes from a Broadway background. So if anyone's going to do a sort of a, a, a cartoon stage show, it's going to have to be Rob Marshall. So we need to make sure that we could give him absolute control over every single spotlight and, and everything that, that he wanted to have on his stage. We needed to recreate that so it would work within the animated world. So we ended up having to do something very cutting edge and create create this a complete 3D version of a music hall, like a CG version of the music hall, all textured to um, look like it's been drawn. So it reacts to light and as if it's a, a piece of drawn artwork. But then we had to incorporate our 2D drawn penguins into this 3D world, which again, is incredibly geeky and boring and I won't uh, go into <laughs> detail, but it was ridiculously complicated to in order to make a 2d character exist in the real in a 3d world so it could cast shadows and things like that it was yeah, yeah it was again incredibly geeky but it all it all worked out in the end but it, it was yeah it was a good technical challenge so i think in reference to the the first film they were using the very latest technology to make the jolly holiday sequence we've done exactly the same thing to, to, to make our sort of an animated sequence. So it, it really is a combination of literally back to the drawing board to the pencil and paper characters combined with very cutting edge uh, CGI and obviously the live actors filmed against a green screen and, and put in as well as a cherry on the cake. Yeah, I mean, that, that sounds like a, a phenomenal amount of work, but I'm very much looking forward to seeing that scene properly. There is another set piece, which I think is, is slightly before that in, in the movie, which is the underwater yes. sequence, which uh, the, there's a, a clip of the sort of opening of that because it starts off in a bathroom uh, exactly. and, and with a bathtub and stuff and a sort of dolphin pops out and things. How was that to create, actually create? I mean, are you dealing with, are, are the actors on green screens on that or are you are you dealing with water tanks and having to 
move people around or or are you it was a, it was an interesting challenge because typically in in a lot of, of very of, of modern visual effects films thinking of I know superhero movies stuff like that yeah it's very little now shot with the actors and it goes quite quickly to digi doubles or little CG versions which yeah. are much easier to kind of manipulate and move around but I think that the interesting challenge of, of this film again and it's it's kind of working from with with Rob Marshall is he's very 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 keen to have the real actors all on screen at the same time, all interacting with each other. So we really, throughout the movie, had to vary our shooting techniques and also just the way we would do the effects to accommodate that. So what we had to do, he didn't want, I and mean, he didn't want to have kids and, and Emily Blood sort of in water because yes. Emily's singing, and frankly, the minute she opened, she opened her mouth to sing, she'd drown. So <laughs> we, we did shoot that dry, um, and what we did, we ended up having to sort of go old school and had a very elaborate rig where every member of the cast was on a multi-harness sort of pick point wires, which were then run up to a sort of a, like a train track on the top of that was built on the top <laughs> of the stage. So they could be pulled down the track. And then you had all these winches and cables being pulled in order to give them pitch and yaw. So we did that sort of to get all of the, the characters together. Then we would move our camera past that to give even more of a sense of movement and travel. But of course, the, the challenge was typically when you make, want to make somebody look a little bit floaty or underwater or kind of in space, you film a bit faster, you overcrank the camera. So when you play mm. it back, it all looks a little bit slow motion. So we wanted to try and do that as well. But the challenge we had here was obviously that, that it's a musical and Emily Blunt is singing the whole time. Yes. What we did, we ended up, we did overcrank the camera. We shot it at 32 frames per second. And normally it's it's about 24 frames per second that you film at. So that did make everything feel a little bit slower. And to get over the, the music, what we did, we actually, I got them to re-speed the music playback. Um, <laughs> so when you're hearing it on set, we had Emily singing incredibly fast. We pitch shifted it so it didn't sound like Albert and the Chipmunks. But, um, <laughs> so she's not only is she kind of floating through the uh, floating through the air and, and trying to look graceful, but she's also singing the song about I don't know thirty percent faster than it's supposed to, and it's a pretty speedy song. So it's really down to her performance that she was able to pull that off. And then when we played that back together at real time with the music at its proper frame rate, her and the kids, their arms just a little bit subtly floaty and just taking the edge off of it, but Emily's sort of bang on and lip sync. Wow. And then we created a. I mean, an astonishingly elaborate sort of half real, half fantastical CG world beneath them, which, I mean, it, it warrants repeat viewing because literally everything is moving. We have coral and an enemy and they've all got, uh, there's all little fish darting around inside them. Again, it, it's a musical. So we just needed to keep that sense of fluid motion throughout. I mean, yeah, it was a year of solid CG work to get that sequence to uh, to be where it is now. Wow. that does sound fairly spectacular i mean being in those harnesses kind of be fun for the actors but i'm told those harnesses are not the most comfortable things yeah, in no, the world. I've, I've worn one and, and they're, they're not comfortable <laughs> at all. And, and the fact they had to look smiling and happy is a, is a testimony to their ability to act so yes particularly with the kids i mean exactly yeah yeah, yeah. was it all shot in the uk yes the, the, the film was shot primarily at shepperton studios just yeah. outside london we did some uh, filming at pinewood studios in their back lot of pinewood in the Pinewood Gardens, which is familiar from films like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Right. Yeah, we, we, got to, we got to sort of do things like close down the Mall in London and, and film outside Buckingham Palace. And nice. Outside the Bank Junction, outside the Bank of England. And uh, <laughs> I got to go inside Big Ben and all that stuff. It was great. Oh, wow. certainly, certainly having said Mary Poppins does open quite a few doors, shall we say. <laughs> Yes, yeah, I'm sure. I um, was reading something about you. You had some issue with the weather of sort of having to rebalance the weather because being yes. England, the weather's never the quite Irish, exactly Irish, what you want. Yes, the, we had the English weather wasn't kind because uh, we have a scene where the film starts that's supposed to be very grey and cloudy and overcast. And so when we, we came to shoot that, we were filming at, uh, at Pinewood Gardens, which is the back lot of Pinewood Studios. And it was a glorious week of sunshine. I mean, we were eating in T-shirts and shorts, eating ice creams and stuff like that. It was so incredibly sunny. Yeah. So what we needed to do is we had to take that scene and literally replace 
every sky. So every clear, you, you see the kids running through the stormy environment with all these sort of leaves and wind and everything blowing. They're actually basically running through and it was about, I don't know, 30 degrees as they were running through with bright blue sky behind them. So we had to take that and then replace every single sky in that sequence with like a gray cloudy sky. But then also do a lot of regrading work to take the highlights off of the characters as well. So to make mm-hmm. them feel as though they were in that sort of I know, gray overcast world. And then also add a lot of I know, CG blowing leaves and just things like that to make it feel less tropical, which is certainly how it felt when we were filming it. But then ironically, at the end of the movie, when Mary Poppins has done her thing and everything's happy and sunny and wonderful again, we go back to the same park and there's a big sort of spring fair going and they were the most gorgeous, beautiful day. And they were very smart in the schedule. They, they shot the overcast scene first early in the schedule, which of course, ironically, was sunny. <laughs> then when they came in, in the middle of the English summer to do this big, glorious spring fair, it was horrible weather. I mean, it was terrible. <laughs> So it was incredibly gray and cloudy and every sky was exactly what we needed for the earlier part of the movie. So again, we found ourselves in a situation where we had to replace every single sky. So every, every blues, but instead of gray, we wanted sort of you know, blue sky and fluffy white clouds. So we had to do a lot of that work and then uh, add contrast and make it feel as though it was brighter and, and paint out the, the lights that were in the back of the frame to try and make it look like the sun was shining. So uh, yeah, it's, you know, there's, there's advantages to shooting in England, obviously, but then, uh, but yeah, that that sometimes the weather doesn't help us. Yes, yeah, very true. What do you think the audience would find is the most surprising bit of VFX that is is in the film? You talked earlier about sort of invisible VFX, which is the sort of stuff that I love. You know, the when you can't really you know see that something actually has been altered. What is there anything particular that you think people would be quite shocked to realise that that was actually a VFX? I mean, we've, we've as I say, there's a lot of stuff around Cherry Tree Lane where they had a huge set built built inside on H stage at Shepperton Studios mm. um, but it was all surrounded by a blue screen so at some point the buildings run out and yes. are replaced with CG uh, we look towards a park where again there's like there's a, a railing there sort of that, that goes down the length of it behind that it's all you know you see buildings and you see London and you see like tons and tons of trees and stuff they've all been added in later yeah there's a sort of in, there's a, a sequence when they're dancing on lampposts later in the movie and again it was a huge set but we've just extended that sort of again just to make it sort of feel bigger and bigger and bigger I mean mm. it's it's sort of typical and then just looking at London I think is, is one of the things because of Obviously, the movie had, is set in 1934. And London doesn't look very much like 1934 anymore. <laughs> no. There was, a, there was a lot of work where you'd have these amazing buildings around sort of Bang Junction and uh, in that sort of area in the city of London where some of it just looks fantastic and you'll see it all in the movie. But then very quickly, it's like a modern skyscraper in an office building and something else. So there was a lot of work to be done cleaning that up. But I think my favorite sort of subtle one, which hopefully no one will see, and it really is a good combination of practical effects, which is sort of, you know, the guys who actually have to build things and blow them up and do all that sort of stuff on mm. set. There's a sequence where Mary and, and Jack, the Lynn Manuel character, and the kids have to ride this sort of impossible bicycle where they're cycling and balanced on this ladder. And the way we did that was that the special effects team built this very complicated sort of stabilizers. The, basically, the, the bicycle has a, the ladder going across sort of left to right, forming a kind of a T shape. So you have sort of kids balanced on the, the, the ladder, and you have Mary and, and, and Lynn on. The, the bicycle itself and so the T shape basically that the ladder had these two metal pneumatic stabilizers on it with wheels that could pitch and yaw and allow Lynn to cycle along and uh, and obviously the bicycle not to fall over so that was an incredibly complicated rig but of course in digital effects we had to remove the stabilizers and replace what would be behind it which is fine if it's a simple background but in many cases the children are running behind it so we had to for the frames where we had to put back their legs in we had to make little digi uh, sort of CG legs of the children to kind of go back in and, and fill in the bits that are missing. So wow. again, you'll never see it, but it was just, yeah, surprisingly complicated amount of work. Yes. I love things like that. <laughs> just the amount of amount of work you ends up going into things and you might not notice it. You know, I I, I think 
they're, right, well, uh, I hope, as, they're as a visual effects supervisor, I hope you don't notice any of it at all. Yeah, though. well, yes, yes, no, of course. Of course. I mean, as I say, there are certain points, like, you know, like with an Avengers movie, you know that that's a CGI Iron Man. But, but you know, I, I love the little, the, the subtle things which you don't see. I, I always yeah. find those the most fascinating. So my last two questions. First one would be, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? What am I watching? That's a good question. I don't actually get very much time to watch TV, but when I do, I tend to watch a lot of documentaries. So I've been watching the Ken Burns documentary about Vietnam, which I found fascinating. Yes. Uh, and I'm also a bit of a BBC4 arty documentary fan. So I've been watching watching a, sort of a few of those. But of course, I do work in visual effects. So I have been watching Doctor Who as well. <laughs> yes. Did you see the uh, Peter Jackson documentary? As a visual effects person, I would have thought that would have been quite interesting. The, the, yes, uh, I have. The, the, the one about colorizing the, the World War One. Yeah. Sorted. Yeah. Yes. No, I, I have that at home in England. I have that saved on my Sky Q box. I haven't right. uh, had a chance to see that yet. Yes, uh, that that will be a good one to watch over Christmas. It's absolutely brilliant. And the last question will be, if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, I know you mainly work in film, don't you? But uh, if you had the opportunity to work on a TV show, past, present or future, which TV show would it be? That's a very good question. I think if I could work on anything, I would go back and work on the original 1960s Thunderbirds show. Because <laughs> my, one of my heroes that well, I wrote my first fan letter to when I was 10 years old was Derek Meddings, who was the, the visual effects supervisor of that. And uh, yeah, I just think I'd like to sort of play around with, uh, with Thunderbird 1. <laughs> very good choice. Very good choice. We've never had that one before. I'm uh, very happy with that. Awesome. Well, Happy New Year. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been lovely talking to you too. Hopefully when uh, your next project comes out, we can have you on again and talk through whatever it is you're doing on that. It would be my pleasure. Awesome. Have a great day. Thank you very much. And you. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. That was the interview with VFX supervisor Matt Johnson on Mary Poppins Returns. The film, of course, is out in the cinemas now. Go and see it. Uh, I, something I need to do myself. But uh, yes, go out and see it. I'm sure it's great. Uh, it's been getting fabulous reviews. So go and watch it now. Here's some highlights for next week on TV. Highlights for next week on TV. And once again, I mean, it's January. There shouldn't be this oh. much stuff in January. There never used to be. And and suddenly there's just piles of it. Most of it from streaming services, I think. Yeah. You know. I've also learned um, a lot of the channels hold on to the September releases <laughs> so they can skip all like the Thanksgiving breaks and the Christmas breaks. Yes, and they do. And just play it right through now till April and May and get the whole season out. Um, so that's what I think with the couple of these on our list today i think they've just held them until a good eight ten weeks have gone past and then when they play them out they don't have to break them for thanksgiving like they do in america that, so. that is very very true that's certainly with the cbs shows they do that quite yeah. a lot the big procedural shows they do which is why hawaii 50 and things like that always come back early january yeah. so um joining hawaii 50 set because it is interrelated to, to those shows magnum pi 16th of january at 9 p.m this is the remake of the classic 80s tv show which i absolutely adored the original it was it was just it was one of those things that i used to sit and watch with my grandmother so i i was a huge fan of the original i'm quite looking forward to seeing this remake um, and some people are saying it's sacrilege i will quite happily watch it it's from the same people that did hawaii 50 it actually sits in the same universe as hawaii 50 because they're both based in hawaii so it's in that ncis la macgyver hawaii 50 Magnum are all in one little contained universe. They have got crossovers coming up as well, I believe. Yeah, I'm quite looking forward to this, but uh, yes, 16th of January at 9pm uh, Magnum PI on Sky One. So that's one to look out for. Do you, did you, have you seen the original? Have you ever, you no, I never saw the original. Um, I've definitely put this down to record because I do like Hawaii Five O, but I've never sort of cottoned on to the MacGyver stuff, but I thought I'd give Magnum PI a go. Um, so Yeah, that's the same with me. I, I didn't quite get round to the MacGyver thing, but they are are all in this one shared universe because they all have the same producers so yeah. uh, they cross them over and this is the same with NCISLA that's they've done crossovers with that as well that's on Sky One on the 16th of January that's going to be followed by Ramesh Ranganathan show called Just Another Immigrant so this sees him 
uproot his family and head to LA in a bid to make it in America. Quite like Ramesh, I think he's very funny. So that is a sort of documentary style thing, considering how, if you've ever seen his stand-up, how he talks about his family, and he's very, very funny. So uh, 16th of January at 10pm on Sky One, that's going to be, so that's going to be one to look out for. Russell Howard Hour, back up for the second half of the second season of that. That's on 17th of January at 10pm. I love that show. It's basically Russell Howard's good news, but on Sky One. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, second half of Riverdale, uh, season three, that's coming back on the 17th of January as well. I still haven't quite finished the first half of season three yet because it got very, very, very silly and I really just couldn't deal with it. So uh, <laughs> I will go back to it at some point, but I haven't got around to it yet. Mm-hmm. Grace and Frankie, season four of that comes to Netflix on the 18th of January. I've not really watch this but i know some people absolutely yeah, love it i love it i yeah. love it it's, it's real sit back tv don't have to think i can do some cooking or it could be in the background and it's always funny and it, i'm definitely not the target audience but i find it really entertaining so yes i know that's got wide popularity so grace and frankly back on the 18th of january also on the 18th of january there's quite a bit actually um yeah. star trek discovery also on netflix second season of that lands on the 18th of january on netflix which i'm very much looking forward to 18 of January over on Amazon Prime Grand Tour Season 3 which will be the the last of the sort of regular not the last of the Grand Tour but it will be the last of the regular ones with three guys in the big tent doing stuff to camera after this season goes out they're then going to do the Grand Tour but there'll be specials much like the Top Gear specials used to be so and then they will be released throughout the year so rather than doing like saving it for a single season they have been renewed for a full season but it's going to be a full season of specials rather than them in the big tent that's Grand Tour season 3 back on the 18th of January on Amazon Prime Punisher also gets its second and potentially final season release on the 18th of January not officially being cancelled or renewed for a third season yet but given that pretty much everything other than this and Jessica Jones haven't been cancelled and the only reason these two haven't been cancelled is because they'd already filmed them um, I mean Punisher potentially is the one show out of that group that could stand on its own oh no mark my words Dave I bet you by February we've had a cancellation announcement (laughs) it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest I'm I'm fully expecting it to be cancelled if you were going to save one of them that's the one that could separate itself from the rest of them more easily I think but I rather suspect that they're all going to get canned Um, so we'll have to see but 18th of January on Netflix for Punisher season two 19th of january on netflix for dynasty part two of second season of that so that's back there's a new canadian drama called coroner that's coming to universal that's based on the jenny cooper series of novels by mr hall uh stars Sarinda swan who you were last seen with a slightly dubious haircut in inhumans <laughs> um but uh, that's called coroner which i'm assuming is about a coroner uh potentially <laughs> I, I guess uh 21st of january at 9pm for that one uh, and then Future Man season 2 of that coming to Sci-Fi UK on the 22nd of January at 2am uh, is the premiere for that and then they run it again later on so mm. the first season of that I haven't finished it yet but was really really good fun and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it so I need to get round to finishing the rest of that good sort of sci-fi comedy angle yeah but worth oh, watching so much TV Dave so much so much and it is not stopping this year there right. is there is more coming next time there is more coming in February it is the ridiculous amount of things you've got to be very picky about what you watch these days so uh, yes that's it unless you've got anything else you want to add in no definitely not. Um, obviously people do tweet me if they want to open a conversation about the BAFTAs and um, before I'm on Geek Town again I'm sure the Academy Award nominations also be released yes. uh, um, we'll be talking about those and might put out a post about those too so please do uh, tweet me at Grey the Geek for a conversation if you want to discuss that alright uh, we shall be back next week with Bex assuming her voice hasn't 
given out or her legs haven't fallen off or <laughs> whatever else she manages to do to damage herself recently. Um, so uh, if you want to get in touch in the week in between, though, you can visit the website on geektown.co.uk throughout the week and see the latest air date info. If you want to get in touch with your questions and comments, email us on podcast at geektown.co.uk. Leave a message on the website post. Find us at Geektown on Twitter, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash geektown, YouTube at youtube.com forward slash geektown and on Instagram at geektown UK. That is everything. We shall see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.